Well, good morning. It's lovely to see you. And I've had such a warm welcome here today. I'm really, really pleased to be sharing this service with you. Recently, I had cause to think back many years to the time when I first became a Christian. And as I was thinking, I reflected on all the things at that point that were new to me. All those things, not having come from a Christian home, that I now had to start building into this new Christian life. And I think that it would be true to say that with age and practice, I've become reasonably proficient at some of the key Christian disciplines. But at the same time, there are those that are still a constant battle to me. Things that I just somehow don't seem to be able to master in the way that I would like. And at the end of last week, the week before the um, school holiday, I was confronted again with one of my major hurdles and was forced to realize that I still had not managed to master, to my satisfaction and to the Lord's satisfaction, this key area of Christian life. And the thing that brought that front and center to memory was a lesson that I taught on the final day before the half-term holiday. Now, as part of the new Religious Studies GCSE, students need to learn about Christian pilgrimages. And they need to focus on two case studies. And one of the case studies is the pilgrimage to the shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham in Norfolk. Now, there are many things about that that are not part of my um, Christian tradition. But I wanted the students to grasp the key idea as to why people travelled to Walsingham and why it became a centre for Christian pilgrimage. And I told them the story. And it centres around a woman called Richeldis, who in the year 1061 had a vision of Mary. And in that vision, she was transported to Nazareth and there told that she was to go back to Walsingham or there where she was having this vision. She was to build a model of the house where the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. And she was to build that house in Norfolk. And in order to get the students to kind of grasp the whole idea, I showed them what I thought was probably the best I could do in terms of a a reconstruction um, short film clip. And the clip showed this lady in 1061 going about her daily life of contemplation and prayer And I was watching this 
And I can now hear myself saying it to the whole class. And I said something like, now just bear with this a moment. It's a bit slow moving, but it'll soon pick up. And again, I was sort of transported back into this kind of area of my life, this whole kind of sitting, contemplating, focusing on on the Lord. And in that moment, I knew what I had done. I had articulated something of that ongoing balance and that ongoing struggle for me. That balance of sitting, pondering, contemplating, listening, as against the kind of running, serving, helping, doing. The whole sitting and running thing. And this is the thing that for many, many years I have not been able to get the balance right. So that was my, in a sense, my springboard of thought that set the wheels in motion to what I wanted to share uh, this morning. And I said to myself, I need to look at this again. And where better to turn than to um, the ladies Mary and Martha in Luke 10 in the New Testament. If you were to look at that passage of scripture, just before the account of Martha and Mary is the account of the Good Samaritan. And just before that, at the beginning, um, Jesus is being questioned by a, um, an expert in the law. And he was being asked uh, by this man, what must I do to inherit um, eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what does the law say? And the verse is there, one so well known to all of us. The verse which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan to illustrate the second part of that verse, love your neighbor as yourself. And then right at the end of the chapter, he, many people think, inserts this account of Martha and Mary to illustrate the first part of the verse. And and the key message is, if we are ever going to have an impact on the world, then this is where we need to begin at the feet of Jesus. So my question to you this morning is this, who are you like? Straight away, as I've said already, I can say that I am definitely like Martha, and sometimes I think I'm even more like Martha than Martha is, if you see what I mean. But what about you? Mary is the one um, for contemplation, Martha's active. Mary's about being, Martha's about doing, and Martha thought that she was going to serve Jesus well on that day, that she was going to do the good thing when he came to her house. She was going to be 
the ideal host. And Mary, she chose something else. Now, the simple message is this. We need to worship like Mary, and we need to work like Martha. Worship God before you work, and then worship God in your work. We need to have the heart of Mary and the hands of Martha. Mary the sitter, Martha the runner, and we need to get the correct balance between running and sitting. Now, I'd just like us to um, do a little bit of reflection for a moment and think of the times in our week when we are or we could be in the presence of Jesus. And I would like us to think of how we approach those times as well as what we actually do when we are in the presence of the Lord. And taking an example to illustrate that, let's look at now. It's 11.25 on Sunday the 3rd of June, and we are here in this place. Now, to be here in this place is probably scheduled in your diary as, as, a, as an ongoing um, weekly um, fixture. But I would think that many of us have come here this morning carrying a kind of invisible bag full of things. Maybe in that bag are unresolved problems to do with home or work. Maybe in that bag are loose ends, frustrations. Maybe in that bag is your to-do list, and so I could go on. And I wonder, are you thinking about that bag just now and, and what you might have brought with you in that bag today? And I'm not a betting person, but I would hazard a guess that there are those within this gathering this morning that in here have already had that bag out and have been rummaging in to some of the things that are perhaps not quite associated with being here. But let's have a look at the ladies. We've seen two siblings this morning. How many of you have had uh, have a sibling that is very different to you? How many of you ladies this morning have a sister who is very different to you? Martha, Mary, Martha the firstborn. She appears to be the driver, the one who probably spoke for the other when she was younger, the one who has things sorted and nailed down. And Mary, the one that was very different, more thoughtful, more, con uh, more uh, inclined to contemplation. Now, Mary is word-based. Martha is work-based. We've had so clearly illustrated for us this morning about priorities. Different people, different priorities. Let's look at Martha. Right at the beginning, she seems to have adopted a natural role in her home. The name, the meaning of the name Martha means uh, lady or mistress. 
She's definitely mistress of this household. It was she who took the initiative, as verse 38 tells us, in welcoming the traveler teacher into her home. It was she who wanted to give Jesus that loving gift of hospitality. And it was a generous, warm-hearted action of love toward him. And I think the saddest, saddest thing here is that how often she seems to get a really bad press. She is so often painted as the one who is kind of thoroughly worldly and the one who is almost unworthy of having Jesus in her home. But we have to get or paint a correct picture. She was a fine friend to Jesus. The scriptures tell us that. And we know from the account in John 11, where we read the story of the death of Lazarus, that she was a devoted servant. She was a very, very good person. And for all of those reasons, we must never, ever be tempted to write her off as one who, on that day, did not manage to get her priorities quite right. But what she did do, she put the practicalities before the pondering. She did have much to do. And when you think about it, it would not have have been as simple as a task as it might be um, to do today. Um, And if you were to be there at that time, you might have gone up to her and said, what's the matter? What's wrong? And she might have come out with something like, well, the matter is Mary, actually. Just look at her sitting there doing nothing when there is so much to be done. I wanted the very best for Jesus. It's such a privilege to have him in our home. There is this to sort out. There is that to cook. This has to be prepared. He has to be served And there's the washing up and so on and so on and so forth. And we ask ourselves the question, was there a little bit of jealousy? Was there a little bit of resentment? And if you notice, she blamed Jesus instead of looking to herself. We can see how she is really distracted with too much serving, how she might have overextended herself. She might have overcommitted herself. She'd nominated herself to do too much. And she goes to Jesus at this point and she says to him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And she saw serving Jesus as a greater priority than being with him. You know, the word distracted means to be drawn away. And if you think about it, she probably started off the visit by being with Jesus. And as often happens when you have someone in your home and you're looking after them, you're drawn away to to do a whole variety of things. But Jesus answered her and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed, 
And Mary has chosen what is better. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. And he's telling her that the things that she's worried about, that the things that she's upset about are not the necessary things of life. She had a kind of false idea of what Jesus needed. So there we've got a few brief glimpses about her. But Mary was not a runner. She was a sitter. And and Jesus said, she's chosen what is better. And I don't think this morning that you need me to elaborate on the benefits of, of sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's such a key thing linked to us being disciples of the Lord. That is what we should do, to sit at his feet, to listen to what he says. Um, But what I did think, it would be wrong of me not to attempt to suggest how the Marthas of this world, the people like me, could organize their lives so that the rhythm of their days lend themselves to creating time to be with Jesus. And I thought, I mean, I've said to you already this morning, I am not one who can speak with authority on this at all because I'm still learning, I'm still trying to get it right. So I started to look and see what other other people had to say. And I came across a really sort of simple, simple idea. And um, it was um, shared by a man called Mark Driscoll, and he runs a church in the United States. And so, as every preacher preaches to himself prior to the the delivery of a sermon, I set about seeking and searching and found this. And he says, you've got to think of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we see the world as God created it. And it was described as very good. It was before sin came into the world and the fall of man. And what we see there he describes as a merry world where man and, men and women, uh, where man and woman walk with God in the cool of the day. They're in constant communication and communion and reflection with the God of the Bible. And then in Genesis 2, we read that God created man and put him in the garden to work and take care of it. And then describes this world as a merry world with Martha moments, communion with God, and then work. And then back to chapter 1, he's looking at how God created the world and saying there was evening and morning the first day, then evening and morning and the second day. And he says that in our Martha world of today, for many, that is how we work time out. Our day starts in the morning, the alarm goes off, we get the rush, we jump out of bed and we run and we go through the day and we go and we do and we go and we do and we go and we do something else. Then at the end of the day, we run home, we work some more, our minds are totally um, whizzing along and we hope for a merry moment. But getting a merry moment in that is nigh on impossible. And we can be troubled and anxious by all the things of our day. We've burnt ourselves out and we go to sleep. And he says, you've got to get back to that 
creation rhythm, evening and morning. The rhythm of our day is spend time in the evening, have your merry moments, and then sleep, get up, and then have your Martha moments. And I thought that gave me a really interesting angle to this, a way of organizing my life or thinking about what I do much more. And for me, that is where the problem lies. I don't think about it enough and I don't plan it in enough. So as I close this morning, I want to be very practical and invite you to make uh, Mary's choice, your choice, our choice, with three simple commitments to do. Firstly, I will, going from this place, as best I can, seize the opportunity to create moments to be with Jesus. I will refuse to be distracted. And I will be ready to obey. You see, disciple means learner. We've all got so much to learn about ourselves, our false priorities, about what God wants to do in our lives. But the place where we start to find out what that is, is at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he has to say. We live in a Martha world. We have to create Mary moments. Amen.